Welcome to Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. On this podcast, we take complex tech topics and break them down for the non-tech listener with your host, Ian, Kyle, and Philip. Welcome back to the Break It Down podcast. And we have our first part two for you today. We will be talking cybersecurity once again, a continuation of our earlier episode. And as always, I am joined by Kyle, our smartest co-host, and Philip, our other co-host. Wow, that that's I'm not even sure what to say there. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad, Kyle, you got such a good introduction. I will say I'm looking forward to a good sequel. Sequels usually are not very good. This sequel is going to be amazing because we have the smartest co-host on. <laughs> and, and then Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make this like a, I mean, Terminator 2, not Shrek 2. Correct. This is very accurate. I don't know why those are my first two references. The last time we left, we did kind of a cursory overview of cybersecurity, the differences between cybersecurity and network security. And then we touched on kind of some of the, I think, ways that businesses and our partners can best attempt to prevent breaches and attacks and some of the solutions that are available there and and how many of these solution providers should be working together. And Kyle, encourage people not to become entrepreneurs and start their own solution provider. Yep. So I don't know, Phil, I know you left the last episode wanting to learn more. And I do think there's a lot more to learn in this. So we can't begin at the beginning like we usually do. So Kyle, where would you like to begin? Yeah, so not starting at the beginning, we can reinforce some of the things we talked about last time, which is network security is one element of cybersecurity, that a breach is inevitable. It's going to happen. Just assume it's going to happen and have a plan in place to mitigate the damage and respond to it. That's not to say don't invest in preventing it because you absolutely do. Like we talked about a lot last time, if it's difficult for a hacker to access your network, access your data, they're going to move on to softer targets, but they'll be back. And which we will probably re-reinforce today is uh, the largest threat to our data and to our network security are the users. It's not the network at all. It's the people using the network. So I think today would be uh, a good day to cover some of the more uh, common or or topical uh, cybersecurity things that are happening. Ransomware is very prevalent right now. We talked a little bit about phishing attacks and whatnot in the uh, in the first episode, but because it was timely, right? We were we were all just becoming a remote workforce at the time, and here we are at the end of the calendar year as we're recording this, and we've all become accustomed to that. But the threats are no fewer now that we've had nine months under our belts of uh, of working in a remote space. So, but we do our listeners a disservice if we didn't talk about how they themselves can help prevent cybersecurity attacks, both on their personal networks, their home networks, but also as as employees of their company. All right. So we're talking Smokey the Bear and only you can prevent cybersecurity attacks. So Kyle, walk me through that. Is that we're not clicking on, we don't want to be downloading things in a computer. We don't want to be clicking links. What do we give us, give us some tips that we can go take and, and maybe enact in our personal lives. Yep. Sure. So some of the some of the easy ones, and again, not to be redundant from our first session, was uh, you know not like you said, don't click on random links. I mentioned in the first one, hover over 
email addresses and links and just see if it passes the eye test. Is it really, Kyle, do its email addresses even look like mine or is it a spoofed address? Like that kind of stuff. It's, you know, all of this will fall into a, a category, just common sense. Like if you know where to look, it's very easy to find malicious attempts to access data. So all the simple things like making sure systems are patched and making sure you're not clicking on the thing that popped up when you visited a website, like all of those things are, are common sense efforts to, uh, to keep bad actors from accessing your system. But I, I think one of the uh, big topics we haven't dug into a lot is just social engineering attacks. And some of that is rooted in data that's public access. Uh, but a lot of it's rooted in data that we provide as members of social circles. So what we're talking about here in social engineering attacks is having bad actors or people with malicious intent using publicly available information about an executive within a company to then try to leverage or establish a relationship with them to get data about information. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in this social engineering attack space is usually the targets are not even the people with the good data. It's not the executives. It might be the admins. And if you can make a connection, have a relationship with an admin, you can, an administrative assistant, you can get all kinds of information about the comings and goings of executives and where they are and what meetings they're in and all that kind of stuff. So think about your data. Think about your own personal profiles and your presence online. I know I, this look, this is me, not me living in a glass house and, th and being the last one to throw stones. Uh, anybody that's listening to this podcast can go find me on Facebook and you can learn all kinds of information about me on Facebook. But guess what? I put it out there. I, I know it's out there. It's part of my interactions uh, socially and I'm okay with it being out there. But all three of you or all three of us have Facebook profiles, but you know, just think about the feature within Facebook that, that, the memories feature. So every day or so, I get reminded of a post that I made seven years ago. What well, data is sitting out there? It's always out there. I, you know, I, it would take a lot of effort for me to actually go delete it. So the point is, everything that you, a user, a consumer, an employee, post online in any social environment, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, LinkedIn, it's public. And people can use that information. You can get really uh, kind of in the creepy realm with how people use uh, public information for social engineering. Get down to, you know, the little stick figure uh, images on the back of your minivan. Like, you know exactly how many kids are in that household, how many dogs. You learn a lot by the backside of people's uh, cars as they drive around town. So, anyway, the point is... Um, some of there's a there's a give and take with how much information you as a member of a social circle want to provide to the other members of your social circle in an environment uh, that's online. There's a, there's a give and take between that and being secure with your data. And as we've talked about before, it's you know it's 2020, and uh, most of us are willing to trade convenience and security. Or I'm sorry, security for convenience, because we, we enjoy those interactions. So so I have a question on that. Yep. With social engineering, there is a great video, and we'll tweet it out from the Break It Down account, that Cisco put out a couple of years ago. And it goes into kind of the anatomy of a hacker. I think it's actually called that. And it talks about 
how this girl, she doesn't even think of herself as a bad person because all she's doing is writing the code and hitting send. But essentially the example they give is she finds out everything about this company's CEO and then she creates like a, puts a like malware into an email attachment and sends it out to the company as if she were the CEO saying like, find our Q2, yep. like Q2 reports attached or whatever. And she changed, you know, a, a capital I to an L in the email address or whatever it is or vice versa. And it looks just like everything else looks the exact same. So from obviously social engineering, some of it is just purely that, but there is kind of elements of that that bleed into some of these other buzzword terms, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, we aren't entering physical locations as frequently as we used to, um, but bad actors could literally walk into lobbies of, of companies and uh, ask questions, right? You know, you walk up to the receptionist and, Hey, can I speak to the CEO? Oh, the CEO's not here. Oh man, I, I had a meeting with him. Where, where is he? Uh, he's he's in a meeting with so and so down the hall. Well, that's information. Right? Like they just got information. So, yeah. So there, there's all kinds of ways to get the info, to get all the proper nouns, to find to find the most susceptible people to respond to an attack, like you just outlined. There's no reprieve there. You don't you don't get to just say, well, I just wrote the code. I didn't actually send it. <laughs> Everybody's got a part to play. Yes. Uh, and I, I, yeah, they were kind of uh, play, playing up her voice there a little bit. But it's interesting because every like you mentioned a minute ago, we sacrifice so much for convenience. And Phil, I forget who it was, but you and I have worked with someone in the past who was talking about like the our generation and kind of on, like the younger generations really – have grown up in this world where it's all of these apps and games log in with Facebook and you get a free prize or whatever it is. And yeah, why wouldn't I log in with Facebook? That's great. That's, I get something in this game and it's easier for me to log in. Great. But in reality, you're selling your data for nothing. Yep. And you have no idea where that data is going. You have no idea how secure that app is. You have no idea. And you're giving it up for this nominal prize. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone, for the record. If there is a Google or a Facebook login on anything, I take that route. But I know what I'm doing is bad. Same thing when I download like a font online. John Blair, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But I know it's bad, but it's the convenience of the internet has become so that it's so, <laughs> I, I don't even know what, like out of the way to be, part of the solution. And I think that's where security is getting to, right? Is I think, and, and this is a big Cisco platform is that security above everything. And we shouldn't necessarily have to sacrifice speeds and convenience for security. It needs to be embedded in what we do, just like it needs to be embedded with what we do as users. So I think it's, it's a mindset shift for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if we uh, get beyond the security elements of a network and we get around beyond hacking the human beings are the most easily compromised element of any network. So it, yeah, it's because of all the things that you just said, people will, will sacrifice security for convenience. People will assume trust and, and assume security uh, when they're in a convenient environment. Uh, and it's incumbent upon the people that are administering networks to, to uh, put things in place to keep 
the whose assumptions are negatively impacting a, a, a company. Ian, I know exactly who you were talking about and about this conversation, and it lends itself to the fact that generations, especially generations that are kind of very young, let's just be honest, are okay with people knowing everything about them. They don't care. And that may be fine when you're under the age of 20, but as you find yourself in a corporate environment, when you get older, that has to change. It, 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 the individual you're talking about, Ian, is uh, covered retail at Cisco. And I actually saw Bill on uh, LinkedIn the other day and was, uh, yeah, and, and he talked about how you, I can't use the example on here, but about you can, you know, a store learned something about a individual before their parents learned about it because of the insight that the individual is willing to give up online it's a free fall and people don't care. You know, they, they just, they do not care if you know everything about them. Yeah. And there's a, there's another element to this too, guys, that uh, we also have a workforce out there that is adopting technology that they're not accustomed with. And they're not, yeah, that's been a big thing over the past nine months, right? Yep. They're not even aware of that. They're sharing information that could make them and their company susceptible. And I've heard of examples of, uh, People sitting on planes. You remember those things, right? Airplanes where a bunch of people on the yeah. people sitting on planes behind someone that's typing something on their laptop, and they're you know you can read every single word they're typing on their laptop, and whatever that data is, it could be sensitive, and it's so easily accessed because they're in a public space, and they're not even aware that they're uh, giving up information. So it's it's not only just uh, willful neglect <laughs> there, there's also an element to this that, that's become the, the where the technologies become so convenient that uh, even people don't understand what they need to say, safeguard so talking about airplanes i saw this thing that you like your ticket the barcode on your ticket if you leave that in the back of your seat in front of you the amount of information that can be ripped from those tickets and how much damage that can do so don't ever fold up your ticket and stick it in the seat in front of you that's right. Hey, so I, this has nothing to do with security, but it's a little PSA for people. I see people all the time on social media celebrating that they're going to an event, sporting event or a concert or something, and they post a picture of their ticket online. It's a barcode. Anybody could just print that barcode off and beat you to the venue and use your ticket. Don't, please don't post pictures of your tickets on. No, don't do that also this time of year because someone's going to break in your house. <laughs> so that's the other side. Yeah. So... Let's talk about like some types of attacks. Like I, I know we, I don't remember how much we touched on this in the beginning, but yeah. ransomware. Let's hit on that and how much it can just destroy and shut down some very mission critical, like I guess life critical type of you know healthcare hospitals. I mean anything. So yep, yep. So we, uh, I think we said the word out loud the first time around. So this is a great opportunity to kind of dig into to some of the details on it because it is very timely. It's one of the most uh, commonly uh, used uh, attack methods right now, it being it being ransomware. But just kind of setting the stage for it, ransomware is a version of malware. So people use, this is another one where you, you've got terms being used interchangeably, but it's essentially an attack on data. It's, it's not like the old virus, a, a typical uh, computer virus that we're all used to where You've got a program that just keeps replicating itself uh, either within a system or within a network and destroying data. Ransomware is 
the intent is to encrypt and hold for ransom uh, data and systems so that an organization who has been attacked will pay to get it back. So if you look at kind of the old version of of attacks and cybersecurity attacks and things like that, like all, all the things, viruses and, and worms and malware and all, all the terms we've been using forever, uh, largely the motivation behind those is just uh, to do damage. It's just, uh, let me see if I can do it. Uh, I, I, I want to do something malicious. And so people will, bad actors again, will launch those types of attacks. So there are some business uses for them. Like if you can launch a denial of service attack on your competitor's website and it goes down, well, then you're going to get more traffic. I, like there are real use cases out there that aren't just solely for fun. L- let me see what kind of damage I can do. But ransomware is where all of that bad activity, that malicious activity became monetized. So now you have these organizations, even down to individuals who are launching ransomware attacks against organizations, like you said, big organizations, healthcare organizations, e-commerce organizations, retail organizations um, that have a tremendous amount of data. And the attack is essentially, like I said earlier, it's getting access to the data encrypting the data so that it cannot be used by its owner and then trying to sell back to the owner of the data their own data selling the decryption keys back to them so it is a very very interesting adaptation of something that used to just be malicious for fun to them not me i i never have done anything like this so um I'm just repeating what I've read online about why people did uh, <laughs> made attacks. Don't believe you, Kyle. Yeah, I don't will. believe you. I, you sounded very guilty, guilty there. I will. <laughs> you did I sound very guilty. Uh, in in production, will take out some of the sarcasm out of my. Technique. My friend's a hacker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard. I know a guy. No, but I mean, ransomware. Like I said, it's, it's, it's almost become a commercialized version of, uh, of, of cybersecurity attacks. So how commercialized is it? Because I think we actually did, Ian, I think it was on a Hot or Not on one of the other podcasts. Is there are companies you just call up and say, hey, this is what I want to do, and they'll design it for you. And I mean, it's literally a business where you can outsource the ransom. <laughs> Which aren't there a lot of those like secretly, Phil, we did a little bit of research and they were like partnering with hackers secretly. Yeah, it's like a big like circle just paying themselves back. So I mean, part, so part of the, the challenge uh, inherently in uh, ransomware or, or any kind of ransom is that there's no guarantee that if you pay the ransom that you're going to get the thing that you're paying for, right? So there, there's always... And this isn't a uh, an ethical uh, industry we're talking about here. So most of what you will read now, if you look at on stats, is that people that do have their data ransomed and do pay for the data, most of them do get it back. But I promise you that if you've paid an organization or a person to get your data back, they're going to come right. They know now. They know you're going to pay for it. They're going to come right back. If your data is encrypted at a point where it was compromised, who's to say that when you get the data back, that same data is not compromised, right? You're just putting yourself into a vicious cycle. So 
there's more than just responding to ransom attacks that has to be done to, to mitigate them and to avoid having them in the future. But you're, you're, you're right on, uh, Phil and, and Ian, the, the people that are in the background performing the attacks are the same ones that are mitigating the damages. So it, it is a vicious cycle. There, there are organizations out there that do nothing but maintain the anonymity of the ransomers. So they sit in the middle, much like in some of our previous examples, like uh, on payment processing, about all the different organizations that uh, handle funds between the merchant where your card is swiped and the, the ultimate bank. There's all kinds of people that, that touch that transaction along the way. The same thing's happening in these, uh, these ransom cases where you've got organizations sitting in the middle, like I said, protecting or securing the anonymity of the people using that service to allow funds to be transferred back and forth and, and handle the, tran- the, the, the uh, communication transaction between the person that uh, has been attacked and the attacker. Uh, and oh, by the way, the, we're going to keep doing callbacks to previous podcasts to create continuity, but most of these transactions are done in Bitcoin because of all the things that we described in the blockchain. But so, I mean, Bitcoin transactions, there's anonymity in the transaction itself. They're, they're almost a cash-like transaction where once it's done, it's done. You can't, you can't get a refund. It's not like um, changing your mind on a credit card purchase and getting a, a, a retailer or even a bank to refund your money. That just doesn't happen in the, the cryptocurrency or, or in the Bitcoin world. Um, so it's much like you or I uh, buying something on uh, Craigslist, and the moment you hand the cash off to the person, that you're, you're you're stuck with whatever you got back, right? And sometimes in this ransomware world, what you're stuck with is your data is still gone, and now you're out thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin <laughs> at the same time. So it's a re- it's a really scary situation, which is why it's important to do all the things we keep talking about: secure your data, train your users. You said it earlier, but I mean, it's not when you're going to, if you're going to hack, it's when you're going to hack. And I think that's part of this story is having a solution before the attack in that you're having a cybersecurity or network security solution. I mean, I I don't want to undermine the importance of that by saying it's going to happen. And I've given this example before, but in a way, it's like a home security system. I mean, people are going to rob the houses that don't have home security systems because it's just a barrier to entry at at a very minimal level, right? So having a cybersecurity solution in place is important because you're preventing known attacks and known like methods of attack and the strains of malware that are out there. Then during the attack, you know, when you are breached, having a way to identify where that malware came from, what it's an infected, and kind of where you need to start drawing the lines of cutting things off. And then arguably most important is after. And how do you kind of remediate what happened and go back to business as usual moving forward? Yep. Ian, you'd be very, I'm very proud of you, but a previous co-host would have been very proud of you. Thank you. That was good. I've been trained well. You're learning. You're learning as we go along. We're, we're all, I, all I, you're making us smarter. That's right. So I got, you know, as we kind of wrap up is, you know, if I'm a partner or just a listener out there, but I'm a, let's just say I'm a partner 
and not trying to get them to buy anything, but what is the number one thing that they can do to keep from getting attacked? Not, not necessarily to their end users or anything like that, but just them as a company themselves. Number one thing they can do. Well, I, I will, I'll go back to uh, a comment we made in the first podcast. And then I think we, we said it, or Ian said it in the opener, which is um, may, maybe inaction is, is an action in the answer of this or to answer this question, but um, partner with an organization that has a security practice that has a SOC and that that is what they do. We, we, we keep saying it, you're never going to, you're never going to avoid a breach. Uh, things as simple as antivirus software. It's a very simple thing to deploy in a corporate environment. But I mean, look up zero day attacks. The whole point in or the, the way antivirus works is that there are known profiles of viruses that if they see an application or program running that looks like a known virus, then it flags it. But the a virus has <laughs> a new virus uh, has no profile that's known for a while. That's a zero day attack. So the, the point is, if you have an organization, you partner with an organization that has a security practice, not only can they help with all the user training, uh, putting in all the filters and things up front to uh, protect the users from themselves, right? If you click on this, are you sure you meant to click on that? Those types of activities. But the bulk of where those types of organizations are going to help in the where we have a current event, we have an attack, we have a data breach, we have a something help us respond to it quickly. Because without that and just relying on your own internal IT staff or your own internal security staff that's not specialized in these areas, it's going to take a lot longer to respond to those events. And so my answer always in this space is to partner with organizations that do nothing but this, that do nothing but security, that that, that is their, their core competency and they will help you protect your network. And to Ian's point earlier, timely responses, remediation, put it in the cycle, start all over again. What do we do next time to avoid this? If we get another attack, what do we do about it currently? And then what do we do after the fact to make sure it doesn't happen again? Rinse and repeat. I threw the, uh, I threw that nugget out there at the beginning or in the, in the first podcast too. Bad guys are collaborating. We just talked about it in the ransomware example. The malicious actors are, are collaborating to get to your data. Uh, the good guys should be collaborating too. Don't be afraid to partner. I like it. All right. That's part two. Cybersecurity. Sequel rocked. <laughs> we lived up to the hype. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Phil. Looking forward to the next one. Today's episode is sponsored by Cisco Marketing Velocity. Marketing Velocity helps partners grow their revenue and engage customers through innovative marketing strategies. With campaign planning, educational learning, and more, Cisco helps you reach new customers, increase profitability, and bring value to your business.